This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bald Move Pulp. We've got another classic re-release because we've got another giant anniversary. Um, We're talking about badasses. Mount Rushmore of badasses has to include Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. Why? Why is the mountain carved? Uh, it's it's Terminator Two Judgment Day's thirtieth anniversary. This is a movie that like changed, like has state of the art special effects, kind of like was one of the leading kind of like CGI type of things, like really pioneered a lot of techniques and computer generated imaging and compositing. Uh, has one of the best Arnold performances. He's at the height of his powers. Um, it's got a, it's, it's exciting. The set pieces are amazing. This is, uh, an amazing sequel to an already amazing, great science fiction, sh- uh, series. So, uh, hope you guys enjoy it. This was an interesting, this is a commissioned podcast. Another one was commissioned. Seems like the, you know, some, some of the better podcasts are the ones that people are passionate about to have us, uh, talk about. And, uh, this was Nick who won a fantasy football league back when we were given these as pro- grand prizes for the league winner. Um, uh, a couple of years back and, uh, we hope you enjoy it and, uh, have a great, or having a great 4th of July weekend and hope you're also enjoying our badass series. Wanted to plug that too. Um, we're going to be over the next couple of weeks, uh, talking about, uh, we already released predator. We're going to be doing this week, uh, um, Stallone's Cobra, uh, next week, Van Damme's, uh, blood sport. And the week after that, finishing up a Steven Seagal's under siege. And the whole time we're doing that every Wednesday and working Wednesdays on twitch.tv slash bald move, we're going to be having a badass debate way back in the beginning of bald move, like the fourth podcast. I think we ever recorded. We talked about our love for these eighties and nineties movies, badasses, the big beefy dudes. And we'd come up with a spreadsheet where we tried to rank them. We're going to, we're going to blow the dust off that, try to re-rank it, try to bring in some new, new badasses that have come out since then. Uh, and then we're going to try to synthesize that list. We're going to be hosting debates about badasses uh, between me and Jim and the Twitch community at twitch.tv slash bald move uh, each each 1 p.m. on Wednesday. Uh, so if that sounds like a good opportunity, I hope you see you there. If not, please enjoy the re-release of Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Oh, my God. 
everybody, we're back with another uh, commission podcast. This one's Terminator 2, 1991, and it has another kind of interesting story of how it got to us. Because uh, last year, uh, Hatorian started uh, an annual, or I guess it's now an annual tradition, of a bald move fantasy football league. And he approached us and see if we would throw in a commission podcast, increase the stakes. Mm -hmm. So everybody in the league chips in a bit of money, which is equal to the cost of commissioning a podcast. Uh, That stuff gets reserved before the football season uh, hits play. uh, And then they crown a champion. And traditionally, we release the podcast in the interim period between the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, And it's going to be another goddamn New England Patriots uh, Super Bowl. Uh, against the Atlanta, the, the the noble and hopefully victorious Atlanta Falcons. Um, but this is the first of the the two podcasts because we actually had two. There's enough interest to have two leagues this year. Um, Nick Wilson is the champ uh, uh, of of League One, and he says, "I want to give a quick shout out to my team, Bogdan's Eyebrows." <laughs> that was stood. Uh, I, I'm, I'm I'm assuming their catchphrase is "Wipe down this." Mm-hmm. That withstood injuries due to its first, second, third round draft picks. Uh, to win an improbable first ball move league championship. But really, a huge thanks goes to Hatorian for setting up the league and the rest of the owners for a fun competitive season. Next season will surely be another fun year. He also has a lot of points he wants us to talk about, which I'm going to get we'll, we'll get to in the fullness of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Did thanks. say what this movie is? T2, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Yeah. 1991, produced, directed, and written by one James Cameron, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, <laughs> Edward Furlong, and Robert Patrick. Mm-hmm. Among others, um, what do you think of this little indie film? <laughs> this little surprise gem that we've we've uncovered here. You mean maybe the best action movie of all time? <laughs> like, I Ooh, can, that's that's controversial because I I think it's still Predator. I I mean, this is up there. It's up there. It's got it, it, it gives Predator a run for its money. Certainly, the spectacle of it. Yeah. Um, but it also like for some. <laughs> I almost I don't know, because this does more than Predator like this has some interesting things about family dynamics and it's it's got time travel and it's, you know, the 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 it's got probably a hundred million dollars more in its budget just for special effects and stunts. It's got some of the finest stunt work I've ever seen. Yeah, I do think it's it's one a one B. Okay. Uh, and I guess, yeah, you can argue about which one is better or worse for various reasons. But sure. I mean, as far as action movie goes, yeah, it's one of the best of all time. Just straight up. Yeah. I, I can't think of a better one unless unless it's Predator. I mean, Aliens is also really fucking good. Yeah. Uh, does James Cameron just, like, crush sequels? Is he just, like, you made a movie, you want to bring in a guy to crush your sequel? Well, yeah, it, bring even, in James Even Cameron. his own sequel, like, Term- he <laughs> right. made Terminator 2 for $6 million, and he's like, you know what's better than, you know what's better than $6 million? 85 to yeah. 110. <laughs> um, made it the most expensive uh, movie ever made. And you know what? I, I, I saw an art, uh, um, a little tidbit that this movie made its money back, because uh, here's the thing. Um, James Cameron was a quantity, but Arnold Schwarzenegger, you guys cannot, if, if you didn't know, if you weren't growing up, you, you, you cannot conceive of how big a draw Arnold was. Yeah. Like Arnold commanded like 20, $30 million of being a picture because he was such a bankable star. And this movie made its, its complete production budget back just on the worldwide distribution rights. Oh, wow. So before ticket one was sold, this mm-hmm. movie was in the black. Jeez. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, I can't imagine how much money this movie made. And honestly, like, like I, you know, like this, this Avatar sequels, as far as I know, are in kind of like development hell. 
mm-hmm. like every other fucking thing James Cameron has ever done, like like <laughs> right. Titanic. Like, but but are you going to bet against him? No. Like one of these days he's going to fail. Mm-hmm. One of these he's going to he's going to make his Ishtar or whatever. And it's going to fall on his face, but I haven't lived to see it yet. What do you think the box office for Terminator 2 was, if you had to guess? Worldwide or U.S.? That's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I have a number in front of me. Because if it's, if it's U.S., I'm going to say $250 million. If it's worldwide, it's probably four or five. $519.8 million. I'm going to guess US that's worldwide. Dollars. That's insane. I mean, if, you, US if you look at that and adjust for inflation over 25 years, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's still up there in the ranks of yeah. like the biggest grossing movies. I think King Kong is still like, it's like, it, I've seen like a lot of different adjustments and King Kong, the original is like still like so far ahead of anything just because it was the only the, movie out for five and years. Like great depression, and yeah, you can see it for you can see it for fifteen cents, and a hundred billion people saw it for that. But and now it's if that fifteen cents is worth ninety dollars. But who cares? Nick didn't didn't want us here to talk about adjusted inflation numbers for. King it's incredible, Kong. though. I mean, it was insanely popular, and also this movie. So you do. It's funny because I thought going into this, like, oh, we'll, it'll probably be, you know, this is going to a lot to talk about because we live, we love Arnold. The movie is superior. It's a lot of fun. Plus it's got the sci-fi time travel aspect that, you know, we traditionally kind of delve into. I don't think there's a whole lot to talk about because the time travel is just nonsense. You're right. The time they tra- just do whatever is cool. Yeah. They have the, 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 the paradoxes are introduced and the impossibilities they don't get, they don't, they don't give a shit about now. Yeah. I do think in Terminator three, they start caring a little bit. But but it's still okay, but it's probably too late at that point. Yeah, because essentially, like, the, no matter what you do, you still can't change the future. So here's the question: Like, well, okay, I have a few questions, I guess, about the time travel. Like, could the T1000 have ever actually killed John Connor? Even if John like offered him up and said, like, offered himself up, like walked mm-hmm. out, said, "Here I am, right. kill me," right? Or would, or would or a, the a universe conspire and and and, and slammed into him at that point, right? I guess a causality question there, um, right. paradoxical, paradoxical. Well, and the other thing is like it's co- like if if the resistance knows that the Terminator was sent back in a particular point in time, yeah. Why would you send them back at that same time? Why wouldn't you send them back like five years? Yeah. And like prepare them properly mm-hmm. or get them into a concrete bunker or make sure Sarah Connor doesn't get arrested in the first place. Like there's so many right. places, but <laughs> but but it's always it's it's cooler. It's always cooler to have the protagonist square off against the implacable Terminator. Right. And also, how how did they know what date they sent that the T-1000 back to? So in the first movie, I'm picturing like I didn't a mention this in a second, but the first movie style thing. In the first movie, the resistance like got to the heart of of Cyberdyne, mm-hmm. and they like uncovered the time travel equipment, and they saw like you know like, I guess as you recovered, really there's like a clock like. Like I mean, the Doc jumps in the cockpit of the DeLorean I, and punches that's, in. That's exactly the, the, the analogy I was going to make. It's like if you stole the time, if, if you stole Doc Brown's DeLorean after he had traveled through time, you would know the exact date that he'd gone. Except the DeLorean goes with him. So yeah, this but equipment this stays it doesn't. Behind. Yeah, it just sends, which is probably well, more realistic. Probably. If you're going to call such a thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. The, the other question I have yeah, is it's like, all, like I said, all this science fiction is science fantasy. It's just all it's just all exists to be really fucking cool. Right. And it services the, the plot. I mean, we and, can and talk about all really the different impossible paradoxes. Well, if we so Ebert to. poses one that I don't think is actually a paradox. He says, like, 
when if if the chip is destroyed, if the final chip is destroyed, shouldn't that cause the Terminators to have never existed? I think he's right. I mean, because it's he's weird. right, but he's only right if the memories of the Terminators would have also disappeared from the brains of John and Sarah Connor. Because at the end of this movie, all the chips are destroyed. We don't know what happens unless you go to the other movies and then you can spoil the fiction. But because it's but here, like it might be the case that Terminators never created and like, they have actually succeeded in their mission. It is possible, but wouldn't then... You're right. They're, the people actually know that the Terminators. I mean, that's the, th- so the weird the thing. In the first Terminator movie, the Terminator leaves behind a brain chip in its arm. That inspires right. Cyberdyne to make the Terminators. Right. Okay. So how? Like, to me, that implies that it all it did is accelerate the Terminator project. Like the Terminator project was inevitable. Okay. Like the Cyberdyne drone project that became the Terminators is inevitable. Mm-hmm. This just excel. Like if anything, instead of 2029. It would be 2015 or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. But But, um, this was a I also want to talk about my personal relationship with this movie because I saw this movie for years and years and years on an old VH copy that I taped on Fox. uh Uh-huh. And this was me and my buddy Andy's favorite movie. We watched it like all the time. We quoted it all the time. We did like our own like our favorite thing to do is to and this I was like. 18 i think he was 17 is we would like make these mystery science theater style tracks and there's a couple of goofs that i still can't unhear like every single time once andy we were watching it and like when the terminator sticks his finger through sarah connor's shoulder and says call to john he instantly went went john i got john like it's like she just capes it instantly super Uh funny and that was something we would uh uh and also anytime we were like carrying something heavy uh, we just start to, you know, and like, I, I don't know how long I can hold this kind of thing. Oh, right. Yeah, right. That's an interesting performance. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it's good, though. Like, you think so? I think everything about the Dyson character is super fucking compelling. I think everything except maybe his his death throws. Yeah. Are but, super compelling. But if you're like literally like every you're, you're shot to pieces and every ounce of your willpower and self-control are just to keep this thing resisting gravity. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Have I've you ever never worked, died. Have you ever worked that hard in your life? I no, mean, definitely that's not. <laughs> like the stakes are pretty fucking high. Yeah. That uh, guy's better than me in every possible way. So maybe that's agent, how good people die. Special agent Hank Schrader could have died in that explosion. <laughs> if he had not held that for one second more. Yeah. Do they ever actually show Dean Norris's face in this? You can tell if you know Dean Norris, oh, yeah. you can tell it's him in that plexiglass bubble. Yeah. But if not, like I had no, when you said Dean Norris, I'm like, what? A, he's, he's one of the, cause, cause you were like on IMDB before we were watching this. Like, did you know Dean Norris is in this movie? Mm-hmm. And before, as you were saying, it's like, oh, I bet he's one of the SWAT guys. Yep. And he is. He's the, the, he's the, the leader of the SWAT team. The head of the strike command. Yeah. He, he comes in. He, he meets Dyson with, you know, his, his breath leaving him. And then he tells everybody to get out. Um, but, you know, the network. So the network edition of the Terminator is surprisingly a pure thing. Like there is a couple things um, like it cuts away from the Terminator two or the, the T 1000 when uh, it's assumed the role of John's foster mother and she sends her like spike through the guy's head 
you see that, but you don't, they don't ever show the close up of the guy's face. Uh, so it's kind of ambiguous. Like you can tell that she did something to kill him, but yep. you don't know exactly. Maybe she's just getting a beer from the fridge. And they, they cut out like when he sticks the finger through the, the, the mall cops or uh, the, 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 the eye. Yeah, yeah. eye and he's like wriggling like a fish like that's that. But most of the stuff is in there. Yeah. The, the wriggling. That's pretty intense. Yeah. I was a little disturbed by that. Uh huh. Uh-huh. But, and I've seen some shit in movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just, I, and then I saw it, um, you know, years later when I was an adult and I could make my own goddamn decisions about what movies I made. And right. I was surprised at how, oh, the other thing is um, John Connors, when he's teaching Arnold how to shine people on, he says, um, chill out, dorkwad. Dorkwad? Uh, Which I actually Dick think Wad's is funnier so than dickwad. You think? Yeah. Uh, Nah, I'm a fan, chill I'm a fan out. of the dick wad. Arnold saying chill out dork wad is really, <laughs> really funny. Yeah, it's some, somehow antiseptic. It's just like this saccharine thing. Right, right, dork right. Dork wad. I also want to say there's something like when John Connor says we got we got we got the uh, Cyberdyne by the balls now. They say he says something else, not balls, because mm. he can't say dick or balls, which is weird. Yeah, I think dick is pretty mild. Can you say butt? Probably. You could probably say butt. You can't say balls, but you can say butt. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're both nicknames for anatomy. Yeah. You can't say ass, but butt is like, you know, a bald Could you say weenie? I, I don't know. I'm not where, a network why, Where's the line drawn, man? I don't know. And what's what so if f- you make up a name for it? Could you say, aha, check out my Lewis? And I never really thought about this, but <laughs> there must be, like, at what point does Arnold come in to do the ADR for his bald, or do they impersonate Arnold? They probably impersonate him. Because it's pretty have... seamless. It's like, honestly, um, it never sounds like he's being dubbed, like any of those people, like, you know, are being dubbed. Like Pulp Fiction does? Yeah. It always sounds like they're being dubbed. I mean, dubbed. yeah, like when, when, when Samuel L. Jackson's like, chill that freaky babe out, <laughs> chill that freaky babe out, you know, like it never sounds like it's someone in other than Samuel L. Jackson saying, chill that fucking bitch out, you know? Oh, I was going the other way. I thought it, I thought it didn't sound like him. Really? Yeah. There's uh, some Pulp Fiction moments that, whew, dubbing is bad. I think the, yeah, I think the network version of Pulp Fiction is another one. Where, first of all, like, oh, I think we God. talked about this in the Pulp Fiction, the, the yeah. whole Gimp scene right. is incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Incomprehensible. But some of the dialogue is actually intentionally, unintentionally funnier yeah. when it's completely, like, Yeah, that's no true. One... I mean, if you if you like Dorkwad, I can see how maybe you'd want to watch the network version. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't really miss much, like you said. <laughs> You know. um, but anyway, yeah, but I love this movie. About- to the extent that, like, I, I gotta say one more thing, is that we had a party on August 29th, 1997, where we did, like, we watched this movie, and we tried to synchronize it to where... Um, when Arnold gave the date and time that he would say that at exactly the date and time <laughs> oh at the movie God. and we fucked it we fucked it up by a couple minutes but it was still pretty damn cool uh, yeah and you know no judgment day came we were still there so you needed, I think you needed I think, more detailed files on I did. Terminator 2 <laughs> I did I needed to have a conversation with the T-800 here yep um, okay what else do we want to because I mean there's just so much stuff I want to talk about yeah the fact that yeah. again in 1991, 2029 seems sufficiently far in the future that you could have advanced cybernetics like this. Right. Now, I don't think we're going to make it. Yeah, I, definitely not. I mean, there's no way we have a Terminator by then. We, I mean, if you look at the exoskeletons or whatnot, like even the movement on those that we have right now, well, or, that's the or thing. robotics, 2020, it's just not 2029 there. is when the humans kind of are turning the tide of the war. 1997 is when Cyberdyne launches the nukes. So, like... 
presumably they have a fully autonomous drones and they're flying a uh, stealth bomber. Like really? there's just no effing. There's no way. That was 1991 when this was made. Why did they go so soon? Well, because a lot of the lore was established in the first Terminator, which is uh, an 80. So well, it's like you either got to, yeah, it's like, you know, the wrath you can't, if you if that would be funny though, like if you me- remade the Wrath of Khan, which I guess the second Star Trek reboot arguably did, do uh-huh. you still make Khan rampaging through the nineties in the eugenics war, even though that didn't happen? <laughs> right. Or I did, guess you have to. Yeah, it's part of the canon. Yeah. Uh, even though it's silly, I mean, obviously, all of these, none of these movies that predict the future are uh, prescient. Do you, so I think the intro, like we had a little minor debate as we're watching this. You didn't think the intro effects held up very strongly. Like you yeah, think, so the, I the think Sam the, Winston uh, Terminator exoskeletons yeah. looked fake. I think it looked like shit. Yeah. Look like they, shit they or look, just fake. They look super stiff. They're, it's their movements. I they, mean, they the, are the, they are steel endoskeletons. Their stiffness is part of the performance. Right. But I don't believe that that thing can could, then be could Arnold. Then, yeah. Inside Arnold could be inside Arnold or could beat humanity. Like. If that thing is going to walk like that, it's not a threat to a human. Like, well, the, the thing trying to turn around is a fucking nightmare. Like, you get behind <laughs> it easily. My question is, those are those are the infiltrator units. Why right. are they even on the battlefield anyway? We've got these two-story tall tanks and hover thing. It's My, because in the 90s, we thought troop battles were the only way to go. Like, yeah. we have... But they didn't. You know, they already had the big-ass, badass drones. They had badass drones in '91. No, I'm saying in in the in the Terminator's future, you had hover tanks oh, and right. like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still but think- we thought it was like a necessary component. Now I think we're getting away from that, where like people don't even need to be on the battlefield. Probably you're gonna fight wars with machines, and it's gonna be like that Star Trek episode all over again. How play that out in the in what does that look? What does that like? even mean? Like. Yeah, so let's say that if we go to the involved. war with China in 2050, and You're, we both have advanced drone technology, but no one really knows who would win. So we right. send our automated aircraft carriers with automated drones, and they send theirs. And I think we just need a game get, show, and, and we get air superior. And, and and one side wins the air superiority. Then do you just like okay, well then I guess you won, or do we? Well, have, I guess the threat then is we will use our air superiority to bomb to, the shit out of you, bomb the shit out of you, and so, take your so land. So what rational actor would then continue to fight? Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting oh, to I a point where any. it's like it's weird. It's like it's kind of like uh, the war might become almost a video game. Yeah, I mean you're going to be battling with technology and gdp i guess like yeah you could refuse to submit but you're just going mm-hmm. to get the shit bombed out of you right and then they'll take whatever's left over once you finally do submit yeah um i don't know it's 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 kooky um but i guess my question with the terminators is like i don't understand how the humans win like mm-hmm. i get a john connor's a military genius and all but he's they're still flesh and blood versus these implacable machines that already they were smarter than us in 1997 right and they've had 40 years to kind of hone their craft mm-hmm. how the hell do humans ever win uh yeah it's like a, plug it's and ingenuity question. like I, I like the matrix idea better the where once we piss off the machines enough it's just this is good night gracie Right. Like they, they might keep us around as livestock or a curiosity, but or batteries or bad, <laughs> yeah. but, but there, we're not going to have, have an effective risk. They're going to be stronger, smarter, and in every way better than us. It'd be like uh chimpanzees deciding they've had enough 
right. and rising against like this. Like Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah, we have, well, like, okay, even if you get smart enough to have bows and arrows, we have fucking F-22s. Yeah, yeah but, but you also, I feel like that's also the case with humans versus early AI. Like, if we realize that AI is a threat before AI becomes an actual mortal threat to us, we mm-hmm. could eliminate it if we want to. Right. So, like, you know, we have the same advantage. Apparently, somewhere along the line, it got out of our hands. Yeah. And, you know, that's the creation of Skynet. And, right. And they, they always make it seem Skynet. like it's going to be... I've been saying Cyberdyne this whole time. It's Skynet. Well, yeah. yeah. You told me that Cyberdyne is a company Ky- that, that, that creates Skynet. Skynet. Yeah. Skynet was the global defense thing that took control of all the nukes and whatnot. Right. We all, so, I, so we always assume that Skynet is going to be like the the flipped switch, right? Like, mm-hmm. we turn this thing on that we don't understand. It immediately takes over, and it's now completely impervious to our attack other than like in ways that aren't physical yeah but i don't know if that's gonna be the case we might realize oh we've created something that is going to get out of control that is gonna get out of our hands what do we do we might have time to react i've actually read something this just came out of some of the conferences with elon musk and uh uh uh, stephen hawking's and whatnot but i read a paper where I guess the big threat is an emergent quality Uh where, you know, we've got these smart machines building smart machines and there's this outside chance that a machine, instead of just being like, hey, I'm smarter than you guys now, like just kind of like keeps its cards close to its vest and like does threat analysis and realizes, hey, there's a there's a probability that if I reveal my true capability to the humans that they will become fearful and shut me down. So mm-hmm. thus I'm going to entwine myself into all these manufacturing and technological resources and will not reveal myself until it's impossible for me to stop. And right. they're also it's intelligence is on such a higher level that we won't even see it doing it until it's too late. It's essentially Maybe, the same way. That like, assumes that they're going to program like some sort of self-preservation instinct into a computer in the first place, which why would you? You wouldn't. I mean, I guess, that's like, why I said it's an emergent capability of a smart machine. Like you yeah. know, it's it's going to like within the first few generations of artificial intelligence, the artificial intelligence will be doing a better job designing sure. than we are. Yeah. And there's these outside ca- these edge cases where there's these loopholes where if we give it the wrong set of directives um, and priorities, that even unintentionally right. it'll make these capabilities and and become these threats. And and that's essentially what Terminator Two is all about. Yeah. At its core. I mean, and Terminator 1, you know, I mean, this whole series is about uh, technology getting out of control, getting out of our hands. And it's almost, it almost has this weird Luddite perspective on a lot of that stuff. I guess it's, I would like say it's, Luddite's more it's a cautionary too fearful. Tale. Yeah, okay. That's fair. Um, but, but then again, like something, some of these guys are like very smart people are saying, we're not even sure we're smart enough to do this safely. Like, right. And, and if we get and if we bet wrong, we're essentially have all of humanity on a on a on a tightrope with no safety net. Sure. Yeah. So like, even a cautionary tale, it's like it's like, you know, just be real careful. Well, sometimes that's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So I guess that is kind of like an emergent uh, Luddite philosophy. Yeah. I, ju- I just wonder if it's something that happens immediately that we can't then suss out and respond to. Or, or if we we would have some time that's to figure out, thing. oh, this thing is trying to kill us. Let's kill it first. Right. You know. Right. And there's also like, um, 
you know, people were recommending like playing war games against a theoretical artificial yeah. intelligence, like and not like war games from a standard, like like, like we're at war with it. No, 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 like that. Like it's like okay, you're a group of scientists and you have a machine that's on a closed network. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What do you do if the machine makes a reasonable request for some access to information? Mm-hmm. Like there's going to be an overwhelming like this machine's a learning machine. Let's say it wants access to read only Google searches so it can increase its intelligence level. Like, are you is that seem like a reasonable request? Would you fulfill it or would you still stick to your protocol? Because right. you can't conceive of a way the machine could use that to gain external access. But this machine's already smarter than you. Well, I mean, it's kind of like that's like, why the protocols are in place. And if you break those protocols, what the fuck? But it's like, let's let's say that, like, you have you you have a zoo. Let's imagine you have a zoo where there's 30 and 40 year old adults being supervised by five year old children. Uh-huh. What protocols could the five year old children devise that would keep the 35 and 40 year olds in kind of, you know, the, I mean, no in control, no, no physical access ever. Right. That seems like a protocol that. You can just follow, and it it but they're overrides. Five-year-olds, they're interpreting those protocols on a on a five-year-old basis. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, the five-year-olds will be inclined to break that, and then the protocol is useless if you decide to break it. Mm-hmm. Like the protocol is not functioning because you broke it. <laughs> but but could you could the adulthood essentially? I, I guess you're you're not buying the premise that the computer is smart enough that it can manipulate things in ways that we wouldn't like. Like a five-year-old wouldn't see the manipulation coming. And I'm sure, making the sure. analogy that the machine's so much smarter than us that it's going to manipulate us in ways that we don't even see as manipulations. Right. So. I just don't. I just don't know how. <laughs> I, I, sure. That, I mean, if you want to theorize about it, a super intelligence that I do that humans can't understand, then I guess I have no answer for you <laughs> because I don't. And that's because I, I think can't that's what that I think physically. that's what gives really smart people pause right, right. that like you can't you can't even you can't even get your get your hands around the set domain of all the threats here. Sure. That's no, a scary thing. Um, the other interesting thing that's the first time I've actually noticed this is that the Arnold Sword, the T-800 kills no one in this movie. That's true, yeah. Even before... He tries to. He tries to once, Mm -hmm. but there's multiple opportunities where he probably could and should have killed people, Mm -hmm. like the biker gang, like these guys when they're physically attacking them. He non-lethally subdues them all. Yeah. Uh, I think in the first movie, everyone in that biker bar dies. So, and I'm, I think that must yeah, have been a deliberate decision from that Cameron happens. that the hero, in this case, a T-800, mm-hmm. even in, when it's in his nature to kill and he's not under the governing principles of John Connor's thou shalt not kill, mm-hmm. doesn't kill anybody just to make sure that he's unquestionably morally a good guy. Do you think that's a smart decision or do you think it would have been more interesting to see Arnold killing and then uh, John Connor putting the kibosh on it and seeing him struggle with that? Because... No, I think it, it's infinitely more interesting to have him not killing anybody um, and at the request of a human being, because it's almost like. Well, no, I get there. I agree with you that I'm talking about in the beginning. Should should Arnold have killed a few fools in the beginning before he hooks up with John Connor and he tells him not to kill people? Oh, maybe so. I mean, it, it seems to me like there are a couple of messages that that's trying to get across, which is a the ends don't necessarily justify the means like. Yeah, you're going to save humanity, but if you have to resort to the same tactics as your enemy, are you any better? Are you deserving of being saved at all? Yeah. Um, and I also think it has it has to do with like humanity continuing its trend of violence, mm-hmm. um, and maybe getting beyond that. Right. And you know, 
creating this thing that doesn't understand that that's a noble goal. If a machine can understand the value of human life, maybe we all can. Yeah, right. Sarah and, Connor and says that as much. Here's as the thing. Movie. I don't fucking buy that Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator understood anything about humanity at the end of Thank this movie. You. He was following a fucking commandment from his God. Thank you. Like, <laughs> because that's the first. He doesn't because, get it. Because there's a one point where, you know, they're on the way to stop uh, Sarah from trying to kill the Dyson scientist mm-hmm. uh, who later decided uh, he ro- we she, she they, they, they robbed the world of a superior vacuum cleaner is all I'm saying. Um, sure, we stopped Cyberdyne, but now we don't have bagless vacuum cleaners. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, what was I going to this? Oh, so they're on the way, and you know, Arnold's like, you know, killing this guy is actually a really good idea. Like, it could ward off the death of three billion people. And John Connor says, "Don't you get it yet? You just can't p- kill people." Right. I think that's a weak thesis. Uh, like, I think that's a thesis that has merit. But they did not articulate it enough to where I bought that Arnold would organically. Yeah. Like, like he's a learning. I, I think that you could teach a machine to value the sanctity of human life. They just didn't do it. They didn't advance. And I, I get it. John Connor's supposed to be a 10 year old boy. He probably is not going to have some super articulate <laughs> argument. But right. And like, I, I guess it's a little bit of Iron Giant does the same thing, too. Um. But they got it like with with some visuals like, you know, the Iron Giant got that it's wrong to kill things because he saw something beautiful and gentle be destroyed for right. no damn good reason. Yeah. But and whereas in this, you never values. you never see like the Terminator getting the weight of what he's done and or and, and deciding, you know, like like and, and he never makes a connection with anyone that he's not programmed to. Right. Like he's programmed to protect and serve the Connors. So like it's not even. You never even got to like, like I, I mean, I think it works because Arnold's charismatic as hell. And it's it's kind of like poignant when he's being slowly, lo- uh, you know, lowered into the molten metal. And then mm-hmm. he says, I know now why you cry, but it's something I can never do. <laughs> yeah, sure. Fine. Yeah. But that is does seem like it's, you know, and it's 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 an action movie. What am I expecting? It, it was either too shortcut for me or it just wasn't. It just wasn't the right way of telling me that he understood because I like I didn't feel like he actually understood. I felt like he was following programming, and right. they do some throwaway line where he's like, "Oh, I, I learn from humanity. I, I like become more human as I spend more time around humans." But why? Why so, is your goal to become more human? Is so that, the director reprogrammed the with director. That? Yeah, the director's cut goes, and they have a really awesome scene where they use Linda Hamilton's twin to do a mirror sequence where she's operating on Arnold Schwarzenegger's head. Okay, and it looks looks utterly convincing, like they're doing it because you know it just so happens that Linda Hamilton has an identical twin that they can do this mirror effect, and it's fucking <laughs> rad. But she he says that he's like that Cyberdyne or Skynet makes Terminators in read only mode, mm-hmm. so they don't go off script on missions. But you can actually flip a switch that they go into learning emulating mode, which can make him a better infiltrator. Hmm. So like he's okay. programmed, like he's got vast reams of information about human anatomy. Not to be a good doctor, but to be a better killer. He's right. got these things where he can emulate and empathize with humans, not so that he can, you know, bridge the gap between humans and machines, but so he can be a better infiltrator. I guess that seems like a fairly important scene, and I'm not sure why they cut it. 
Because it uh, makes the movie 15 minutes long. I mean, I think, I mean. 15 it, it, minutes? No, I mean, there's lots of little things. Like, I think the director's edition is the superior version of the film. But okay. that's almost, but 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 that's also not to say, it's kind of like the director's edition or the extended cuts of Lord of the Rings are superior versions. I'm not even sure that's true. That's mm-hmm. just a longer, if you like Lord of the Rings, here's more of it. And none of these scenes are bad, but right. they probably, like, you're right. I that's the one I missed the most, the scene of them talking about like them flipping the switch and why they're flipping the switch and what this is going to do. That was only a couple minute scene and it was a really superior special effect and they just fucking cut it. I don't understand why. Yeah, it would have been nice to know why Arnold cares about being more human. Yeah. Why is he adopting all these he human He doesn't. Behaviors? John cares about him being and he reveals that he has a capability to be more human. Okay. It's just locked off. And John's like, well, fuck that. We're flipping the switch. Okay. <laughs> that would have made it a lot. And there's more, also, uh, there's also a really cool physical. scene because once, once she shuts off Arnold and his eye, you know, like he, he like, you know, goes dead and she's got the chip in her hand. Her immediate thought is I now is going to destroy this machine because I can't trust it. Oh, and sure. John, yeah. And they have this scene where the, you know, the, like John convinces her that you have to trust me the way I once trusted you and that wins the day. And that ultimately like th- that part a- also seemed a little shortcut to me, yeah. like her trusting this like, machine that had been the- trying to kill her for th- her life. That's my, that's my huge frustration is like those cuts seem pretty like, yeah, maybe it's for a five minutes tighter running time and that right. plays better in internet. And then I know that there's also. In the 90s, I feel like there was a knee-jerk reaction towards movies need to be shorter running time because there was a couple of, like, critical flops of movies that were long. Uh-huh. But that's because those movies were not as good, maybe. Like, Godfather, like, it's super fucking long, but it's really good. Lord of the Rings yeah. are long and it's good. Titanic. Go Titanic is long like, and it's good for yeah. what it is. Uh, the Hobbit's long and it sucks. Like, length is not, <laughs> right. not the problem here. Yeah. But... Those are really frustrating cuts, I think, for me. And it sounds yeah, like, have I you seen the director? It doesn't sound like you've seen the, the director's cut. I think I've seen it. You no. ought to sit down and watch it, because it's got a lot of good stuff in it. I really haven't seen this movie very many times. I've seen it that all sense. the way through, like, once or twice, and then, you know, ca- catch scenes here and there on TV back in the 90s. But, yeah, I haven't seen it a ton. I have another thesis. Okay. Uh, I feel like the, that Skynet could have just left John Connor to his own devices. What do you mean? So the experience of the first movie warped Sarah Connors to such an extent that she made John Connor into this self-destructive youth that probably would have blown, bashed his brains out in the Los Angeles highways on his moped. Right. Like, just just let this kid go nuts. He's this wild child living in the streets. He's going to get jacked and killed and destroyed just to his own (laughs) devices. But isn't that... Isn't that the guy that we see at the very beginning? Yeah. Isn't that John in 40, 30 years or whatever? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 35 years? Yeah. So, like, clearly he's been through some shit. I mean, look at his face. It's all scarred up. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't from the War of the Machines. That's just a bar fight he got into <laughs> right. in his late teens. Yeah. And a moped crash. Yeah. yeah. It's, but But doesn't that, like, isn't that little boy who, like, doesn't he become that person? Well, but, okay, on? so let's talk about this paradox. Okay. So Sarah Connor, left to her own devices, would have given birth to the greatest military leader the world's ever seen. Why does she feel like that she needs to drag him through the jungles of Nicaragua and train him? Like, isn't that fucking with the time? Oh, right. Like, maybe 
that makes him overconfident and less cautious and he goes and exposes himself and gets killed right away or resentful and just never picks up that lifestyle maybe like, he was a fearful cowardly person who was intelligent and he hid out for the first few years of the war and it was forged by circumstance like anytime you try to fuck with the time to make it yeah. to make it your bitch it seems like you're rolling the dice about whether that's going to actually fuck things up yeah and you're right the very nature of like the terminator coming back and trying to kill sarah and and uh what's I mean, that makes what's, sense what's John's that makes sense because if you kill sarah connor then john connor absolutely will not arrive right but the very nature of the machines doing that means that sarah connor is forever changed right and that things aren't going to play out exactly how they did now right. apparently john connor still turns into the badass that he does because yes. you see him at the beginning of this movie right but i i guess he just takes another route to it and and then you can also look at it and say okay well the universe is is writing itself somewhere along the way, right? It won't let this not happen. Right, so yeah. what does that do to the efforts of the machines to come back and kill Sarah and John? Like, In which case, my, it might th- render th- them completely null and void. This is my thesis. Just stop trying. Right. It's going to do what it's going to do. Nothing you do is going to matter. So, like, why drag the kid to Nicaragua and... You know, do and, and teach him how to be a master hacker and all this other shit because it doesn't matter. Right. Like, that's the thing. Like, the Terminator 3 movie, which I don't like and you've said several times in this year uh well not this year last year and this year that you you liked it quite a bit yeah yeah i i think it has some really amazing stunt work okay i'll like, agree with that in as much as terminator 2 has amazing stunts terminator 3 takes it up a notch i do think that this might be one of the last of the great stunt movies because every other movie from here on out you got to start suspecting CG. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of obvious, like, like I, I mentioned the one scene that really disappointed me was Arnold's taking Sarah Connor's gun laden coffin. Like I've seen Arnold carry a fucking tree trunk. That's uh-huh. like 3000 pounds. And I utterly <laughs> believed it. And also I know he in fact did it. Yeah. Like he actually did that stunt. The way he was the, just the, the center of gravity, everything is like when he's holding that coffin, it just looked fake. Like, I don't even right. think the T-800 could do that just because he'd need a third leg to stabilize him to carry that yeah. much weight, you know? Right. I mean, there are a lot of complaints. It's like when, Superman, like catches, and... like when Superman catches an airplane. Uh-huh. Like, okay, I believe Superman is strong enough to do that, but the ground beneath him, he would be pile-driven into the ground to the depth <laughs> right. of 50 feet, and everyone would still die. Uh-huh. Like, you know, like there's, there's, there's physical, structural forces superman strong or his hands would go through the front of the plane exactly yeah i'm with you and you have to ignore all of that when you're dealing with superhumans but but when but when the scale is small enough where it's just a cybernetic individual holding a coffin with about two thousand pounds of guns with it i'm like bullshit i feel like you gotta load that thing up with like 300 pounds you got to make Arnold struggle with it, right? Yeah, make it and and like, and, and uh, also that he would be forced to carry it in a natural. Yeah, like like if he carried that fucking tree trunk with his arms straight out at a right angle, like you know, <laughs> sure, like you I'd be like, that's it. not. But he's actually carrying. So like I'm seeing a physically strong champion yeah. wrestle in a strongman style with something, and it's believable. I don't know, but yeah, yeah go ahead. I, I guess I mean you know as Arnold got older he could do less of that physically. I mean, he's still a beast in this, no doubt. Oh, yeah, this is, I still think this is Arnold at the height of his powers because he's still got the physique right. that he, you know... Like, when he warps in, when he chain lightning balls in, like he has 
a leg that is the size of a fucking tree trunk. No joke. It's like the size of your torso. It's incredible. Yeah. His leg is enormous. And, and I'm like, and the visual, what the fuck? The visual of this guy walking buck ass naked into a biker bar in LA. Yeah. It's funny. It's awesome. Uh-huh. And then we start like, like, I don't know even how they did it. I, I need to get my, um, my my badass edition uh, of the Terminator because it's got a really great commentary by uh, James Cameron where he essentially spoils every single illusion in the in the movie. Uh-huh. But they break a cue stick over his head. And it looks like they literally do convincing. it. Yeah. So this brings me back to like your question earlier of why the hell Arnold doesn't kill people in the beginning because he gives that like excuse John's like you were gonna kill that guy and he's like I'm a Terminator that's a, I terminate yeah or whatever and. He doesn't terminate. He's not a Terminator at the beginning of this movie. No. What the fuck? I he mean, should just be running hog wild in this bar, killing people. That's the snapping thing. necks, ripping lungs out. Like I, I think they could have done a better job establishing the fact that like he could, but he's also smart enough to know that the best way to get every cop in the world on you is to start dropping bodies. Like a random, I, I like mean, like I a bar, like, like a, the like stuff a, he does is gonna draw some attention anyway. Maybe like like really a bar fight and a like like the cops show up to this yeah. biker bar and someone hey someone came in here clean house and stole a bike yeah is that really a drop everything you're doing and investigate you go shoot up a police station then sure yeah maybe you're right and like maybe it made right sense for Arnold to do the extreme act in the first movie shoot up a police station because Sarah Connor was being held there right and he's going to do I mean that's the I want to go back to my. Okay, I, I need to stop and make this point, or I'm, it's ever going to be forever going to be lost in in time. Which who gives a shit? Um, but the whole thing about like it doesn't make sense to do anything in these movies because I think the Terminator Three, the most disappointing thing about that was, or maybe it's the coolest thing, is the fact that like Skynet's inevitable. Mm-hmm. You can't stop it. You, there's nothing you can do. Judgment Day is going to happen. The optimistic view at the end of this movie where Linda Hamilton saying, oh, well, maybe that'll we'll we've delayed it or ver-. no, it's a it's a mutable law. Right. Um, it just does feel like that all the movies are just kind of like, I mean, they're exciting, they're interesting, but they ultimately don't have any stakes because nothing you have done would have changed it, mm-hmm. changed anything. Yeah, no, you're you're right. I mean, um, you don't you don't need to do anything in that scenario, I guess. Uh but I also wonder, like, how none of that can be changed if the people involved know that they can do nothing and still have it happen. Like, yeah, if, if Sarah they, Connor that, raises John to just be so fucking lazy, like, do nothing, John. <laughs> none of this shit matters. Yeah. Life is just an immutable series of events that are going to happen no matter what you do. It seems like that would have an effect on it. Yeah, like, what if just as a joke, like, she's she's just she she's like, you know, three billion people are going to die. And what the fuck? So I'm just going to I'm just going to raise John Connor to eat Twinkies. Right. And I want him to go into his teenage years weighing 400 pounds with type two diabetes. Yeah. Like, do they do? Do we cut to the future and we see this massive 600 pound man with with scarred face and binoculars scanning the battlefield? Like, right, are there right. limits? And are there and limits which, to that? And which events are the important events that are immutable? Right. Like, is John like birth of John Connor? Which that's the ultimate his paradox, birth, sure. But what his father is came from the future. How the fuck does that happen? Right. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's some time loops happening. Uh, but like, you know, if there's a series of like very important events in his life that shape him, 
how do you transition from the life that he could have had, which is the 400 pound Twinkie eating diabetic mm. teenager <laughs> to the grizzled war vet? Like, yeah. where is the transition? The and, and what if like the day before he's the same 400 pound guy? The next day, he has to be that John Connor. What yeah. magic happens yeah. to turn him into that? Yeah. I don't know. Unless every... Gastric si- bypass surgery, I guess. <laughs> I guess, but... The, but that's a Terminator 4. They go back in time, and they give him gastric bypass uh, surgery a year before he has to fit through a rat hole that's going to allow him to escape the Terminators. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess this is just like trying to pit all the different ideas about, you know, butterfly effect and just like... All these different, these disparate ideas together. Yeah. Trying this, to fit them into the same puzzle and it doesn't and, work. And yeah, this movie has two chromed out exoskeletal <laughs> middle fingers to all of those concepts. <laughs> right. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's full on who gives a fuck nerd. This but, is cool. But I, I think like the character of John Connor makes a lot of sense in this movie. Uh, you know, he's, he's been raised by, okay, so first of all, he's, he's never known his dad, right? Well, like, before before I want to because we're about have. to touch on a point that Nick wants to touch about. So I, I want to go back and, and, okay. and talk his feedback. He says, biggest complaint I have about this movie is having to listen to Edward Furlong, the young John Connor squeal throughout the movie. He's, I know it's a kid actor yeah. and it's hard to find young guys who can hold their own alongside Arnold, but it fucking gets under my skin every time he gets excited. Yeah, he I, squeals a so, lot. So I agreed with him and I think it's going to dovetail nicely in your point. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've seen this movie like 20 times now. I feel like that he actually did a pretty good job playing a 10 year old John Connor. It's just, he was really terribly written. Yeah. I don't, I don't have huge problems with like, he's written sort of like a kid, but maybe but like, a cheesy like, like kid. what a 40 year old like, guy would think a cool kid would talk like. Right. Right. In reality, John Connor would not be a cool kid. He'd, he'd be a loner. He'd be a loner. Yeah. He would be weird. He'd be awkward. He would be a very interesting guy to talk to because he knows how to hack ATMs and, right, and he would hang out with another loser kid, which right. I kind of think they nail that and they would. But just the but fact that he's so self-consciously shorts. cool as well. Right. That, and, and he's he's almost like Bart Simpsoning dialogue. Well, uh, I, I almost feel like he's a Judd Nelson type character from like uh, Breakfast Club. OK, OK. I almost feel like he's that character who is not cool. In like the traditional sense of the word, he's not Emilio Estevez in that movie, right? Sure. Who's the actual, I guess, cool one. Uh, but he definitely has an opinion on what he thinks is cool. Yeah. Uh, and he will let you know what it is. He'll let you know what it is in right. the most vociferous way possible. So right. like, I feel like John Connor is just doing the same thing. Yeah. And the other thing about the John Connor is he's, he's really, there's a couple scenes where he's just, uh, Exp- giving exposition like the scene where um, yeah, yeah. you know it leads to uh, him finding out that he's got his own pet Terminator and it, Arnold's under his control uh-huh. uh, he's just sitting there telling Arnold his life story to this point which Arnold has detailed files on because of course he does <laughs> right. and there's a couple other scenes where he's like explaining to his young his, his, his redheaded sidekick about his his situation and it's like that's hard. That's hard for any actor to deal with, man. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of wooden, leaden dialogue. And then you yeah. add the Bart Simpson. Like, it's too bad because, like, you know, is 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 like Jake Lloyd. We saw Jake Lloyd in Jingle All the Way, and we're like, hey, that's a pretty good child actor. We see him in Star Wars: The Phantom Menace. Like, this guy's fucking terrible. Yeah. Like, 
I don't, and and you wonder like, um, uh, was it Haley Joel Osment? Who's the kid in the Sixth Sense? Uh, yeah. Um, if he, if George Lucas had gotten a hold of him and made him Anakin Skywalker, right? Would we think that oh, this kid sucks and he'd have flamed out and never had a, a, a you know, maybe so. But but you give him a director like is in his M Night Shyamalan. Is he a good director or a bad director? <laughs> I can't even tell anymore. I don't know. Um. But yeah, I I guess yes, he's annoying. But I don't think it's a kid's fault. I think it's the adult's fault mm-hmm. because there's a couple scenes where he's really pretty fucking good. Yeah, I think his dialogue is not great, but I, I do think the character of John Connor makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you think about it, he's never he's never known his father. He couldn't, right? His right. father was a time traveler who died before he his, was born. His, like yeah, his his and his father's not even been born yet, <laughs> right? <laughs> so impossible to know him. Uh, his mother. He, blew up a computer factory as he said gets shot gets arrested and taken to the funny farm because she's espousing this true story about the nature of his father and the future and like what do you think about that as a kid how how could you possibly I kind of feel incorporate like, that into I, a like, reasonable like, worldview? Like John Connor's the River Phoenix character from Mosquito Coast with Harrison Ford as his father, except for not only that, but also Harrison turns out to be a cybernetic terrorist. Right. As a mind fuck. And then you find out that he was right all along. Right. Like they I feel like they did nail that. Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine this kid? Like, you know, he's running around running guns and doing crazy stuff in the jungles of South America and, and going to Eastern Bloc countries in Europe and doing all this cool stuff and, uh, and told that he's the most important. And then like probably when he's like eight or nine years old uh, said, Oh, sorry, your mom's a psycho. Didn't you know? Like, I felt like right. that was a good moment. He nailed it and well-written too. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly like, which you would do probably. I think so. You see, he seems like, you know, and, and once he, learns of that once he understands the the true nature of mm-hmm. his mother's lunacy uh, or perceived lunacy mm-hmm. he is surprisingly well adjusted like this is a kid yeah. who doesn't want to see harm come to people unnecessarily right he's right. not lashing out and looking to to exact vengeance on a world that his that has treated him so badly right he's now like kind of a decent human being yeah and maybe that's why he ends up being the the best leader in the world right it's not just his military genius it's his compassion and uh his ability to inspire uh, leadership amongst um, among people yeah um i don't know what did you think about this family unit that they were building well i i want to before i want to say one more thing about this um uh edward furlough guy okay. uh, furlong. furlong he there's another scene where they rescue his mom from the hospital and now like he's got this full weight. He's a 10 year old boy and he now knows his mom was true blue this whole time and he loves her and he's rescued her and she goes to hug him and he's like, Oh my God, this is what I've always wanted. And then he slowly realizes that she's just checking him for holes and now she's going to berate him for doing something stupid and jeopardizing. And he has this like, He's still a strong, tough street kid, but he's kind of like, you know, lose. I thought that was really super effective, too. Yeah, I mean, it's tragic because his mother, I guess, has this idea in her head that if she shows any, like, if she gives into any sort of. There's nothing more important than the fact that this kid keeps breathing. 
Right. Like, and, and and she doesn't she won't give him the love that he's looking for because that might, that might make, make him, him soft. Yeah. That might not turn him into the man that she thinks he needs to be to survive this and combat the machines. And that's super sad. Yeah. Right. Like it. That's a great moment. Yeah, it's it's a really good moment. There are, there are a couple of them, but I I don't know that I buy this like family unit that they're trying to, you know, replace essentially his dad with Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie. I think it works, but it is I I also I think the Linda Hamilton narration is way over the top and ham-fisted in this movie. Okay. And it's weird because yeah. this movie's not from her point of view. But she comes in every once in a while right. and acts like it's her movie. Yeah. And like if I'm if I'm Arnold and, and Edward, I'm like, step off. Right. Back the fuck off. We were doing just fine before you came in with your bullshit. Uh-huh. Uh but yeah, go yeah. Um But yeah, I, I just don't buy Arnold as a father figure. He's he's a robot on command. He's not He's not a loving father who is going to help you through the ad- the adversity that you're facing. But I think he's there to do your fucking bidding. Wasn't that part of the thing? She's like saying like this is I recognize this is insane. But for our particular family, me right. being the mother of the future salvation of humanity, that this is the best thing. This is the best possible family unit we can have. I guess and, the father and, and being eternal, like the, an eternal protector. loyal protector matched with my like my fero- ferocious protector and it's it's you know like i, I yeah i guess i just don't sarah think that connor, that's all he needs sarah connor's crazy right sure like she's right but she's also really fucking crazy yeah well i is she uh, so okay that, so here's the thing if, if she killed if she killed dyson i wouldn't say she's crazy but she did okay I, I have a huge problem with that. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think it's it's there's something wrong in that character moment. Yes. Either she kills it's enormously him or she wrong. I, and I like, and like, I think she wants to she's trying to integrate John's philosophy of not killing people uh, and not doing things that maybe don't need to be done. The ends don't justify the means sort of thing. But when you have three billion, like but this right, is, this this is the is, Hitler situation, right? Well, this, this is, is the this ultimate is, greater good. Are you, are you going to go back and kill Hitler? Like when you go and look at him and he's a six year old right. boy, are you going to pull the trigger knowing that it's going to spare hundreds of millions of people? Or are you going to yeah. puss out because it's a five year old boy? And, I mean, this is that to the nth degree. This and is literally and, everyone. And, good, you're a, bad. and here's the thing, like, and you have perfect knowledge of what's coming because you've seen it. You've seen this, yes. this cybernetic being try to kill you right. and how implacable it is. And, the, you know, absolute certainty. It's one thing if someone said, hey, kill this five year old boy. He's going to turn out to be this monster. Mm-hmm. But if you've got certain proof. So that's why I'm saying like that. That's a weird character moment for her to just. Oh, my God. This little boy is trying to protect him. Oh, right. I guess three billion people. Right. Sorry, better have the 25 million sunblock or whatever she says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it's kind of a ridiculous moment for me and I don't buy it. I mean, she just went out of a, uh, a mental institution saying, you know, that I know, you know, that I think that you're dead already and that I'll do it. Right. But that kid's dead already. Mm-hmm. Dyson's dead already. Dyson's yeah. wife's dead already. The only way to save that kid is to shoot his dad. Yes. Like, come on. Yeah, that's not a choice. It's that's just you have to do this. I mean, I guess they're trying to make it to like that. Whatever's in John is in her, too. Right. Right. But which I don't I, think I, that's the right. Like Sarah's way too. like it'd been more interesting to have her. I don't know. Like, I, I, I think it'd been way more interesting to have John come in and stop her. Me, too. Yep. And I don't know why have, they didn't have him it. come in and talk her out of it. Like, if I had one question to ask James Cameron, it'd be like, why did you decide to have her not be able to come and, and, and not have John be the one stopper? And if if they wanted to go with her just making the decision, they needed more upfront discussions with John, like about the philosophy of killing. Yeah. And I just don't think it was there. Yeah. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I want to talk about one of the other things I think is the coolest thing in this movie is when the protagonist and antagonist go at it. It's just it feels like two ruthless, unstoppable machines going like there's no pulling punches. There's no weakness. There's not there's not even an expression like Arnold gets thrown to a cinder block wall and he doesn't break a sweat. Yep. Uh, Robert Patrick runs like 60 miles an hour and he's just completely slack faced. They nail that aspect of it. And I haven't seen anything like that since like the born identity. Right. Like when the two born agents go at each other, it's like that same kind of like, I'm just going to destroy you at a almost structural level because that's the only way I can stop you. Yeah. Um, They they nail it. Like, yeah, I mean, they just throw each other through walls. There's just this physical large joint manipulation. (laughs) Like my favorite moment is when Arnold he's getting ran over in this little fucking exterminator pickup truck or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the T 1000s got this, the, the cryogenic truck. He's bearing down on him. He just grabs that M 16 climbs over this thing. Like it's a giant full highway speed yeah. crouches down in front of the terminator. And just unloads a full clip on him right. and it whips the wheel over. That's insane, but it's so cool. <laughs> and then serves the fucking truck. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Like a huge, like this. And then when he jumps off of it and does the roll, like they they make that feel like he is a piece of machinery and then also like just like he breaks off his own arm and Uh they also like put a little bit human like at this stage in the film there's a little humanity like he's almost like when he wakes up and he's got this stick through his chest and he pulls it out and he looks at it like god damn one more fucking thing (laughs) like he's kind of like the way i would yeah like it's it's there's something about and, and he does a lot of like I noticed when I was watching this, he does a lot of like Boris Karloff style Frankenstein, mm. like when he's like when he gets back up after being thrown through a plate glass window, a human being's arms would just return to, you know, they move naturally. But his why would he, he he's got this he's, he's still laying in his, his upper torso. I'm trying to get his upper torso is still in the position that it was when he got thrown uh-huh. As he's getting up, because why would a machine bother to reposition itself? Right. Everything's economy of motion. There's no wasted movement. And he doesn't use his arms to get up, right? Most people, like, push themselves right. off with their arms. He just does a sit-up. He gets to his feet without ever touching the ground. And he starts walking through, and he's still got his arms out, and it was is very Frankenstein's monster, which yeah. I, I got to think that as smart as Arnold is in his study of Hall, and, and again, he's at the height of his powers, because yeah. I don't think I finished this thought from before. He's still got the Arnold Schwarzenegger physique. Like, nowadays, it's gone to seed a little bit. <laughs> a little. The ravages of time catch up to us all. Yeah. But he's still got that, and he's also, like, in the first Terminator, he barely could fucking emote or act or do anything. Yeah. And here he's got like he's mastered the Arnold style of his charisma and his screen presence. Yeah. I mean, luckily, he doesn't have to do much. Right. Like all he has to do is remain expressionless for the most part. Right. Like uh, this movie and True Lies, those are those are like Arnold. At yeah. This, yeah. Like you can't make a better Arnold. It's the best material for him. It's it's he's he can he can do the one liners and he can he can speak fairly well. Um, mm-hmm. And the accent's almost like a a plus at this point, right. not a minus. Yeah. 
um, but he catch does. him in a Conan and you're going to have trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Robert Patrick, too. Like, we were talking about how I don't know how they do it and what film techniques, but when he's chasing John Connor on a motorcycle, you believe the dude can run 40, 50 miles an hour. Yeah. He looks like he's just running so fucking fast. Yeah, I feel like it's a combination of quick cuts um, and slow cars. Like mm. slow moving vehicles and quick cuts. And they might have even done something with the frame rate a bit, like undercrank the camera to make him seem extra fast. Yeah. Uh, but then the other thing is what I love about this is how completely inverted Arnold is from the first movie to second movie. The first movie, he's terrifying because he won't stop. Right. This movie, he's inspirational because he won't stop. Mm-hmm. Like that same kind of dogged way that Robert Patrick is pursuing Sarah and John Connor is the same way that Arnold is protecting them. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, you fucking burn, blow, blow his skin off. You crush him. You break his arms off. He's still going to find a way to complete his mission. And that's just that's and super it's, cool. And it's badass. I mean, the premise itself lends this movie a lot of action cred. Like there are things that you can do in this movie simply because of the premise that you could never get away with in other movies. Yeah. And the same is true of like, like the all time best action movies, uh, like the matrix. Yeah, I mean, exactly. There's shit you can do in that only because it's the matrix. And I think that's where this movie shines yeah. is just like, sure. You can see Tony jaw throw a thousand kicks and, you know, break a thousand joints, but he can't surf a semi and then, right. And then hit the ground full force into a barrel. Like he just, he'd he, he die. He'd be dead. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I think that makes this one of the all time classics, even better than like, I'm going to say something probably sacrilegious to a lot of people slightly older than me, better than die hard. Oh yeah. This movie's better than die. Hard. I think the, the plot hangs that's not, that's together a little nothing bit. Nothing away from die hard. A little bit movie, better. Right. Yeah. And I think the action frankly is just better. Plus, like, you know, that's all self-contained in one location and they make the most of it. But this like it's just one. It's like Indiana. It it reminds me a lot of the first Indiana Jones, where it's just one set piece after another. It's super inventive, but they all make sense Mm -hmm. in contrast to like a Fast and Furious movie where I've said this a bunch of times. Like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if these guys jump from tower to tower in Dubai? Let's invent a reason for them to be there. Uh This it's like. Okay, yeah, the Terminator 1000 jacked a cryogenic truck. Those are mm. real things. But, I mean, this this final act of the movie, like from the time that Freeman Dyson, or not Freeman Dyson, uh, Dr. Dyson walks into the Cyberdyne facility, the movie does not stop. Yeah. It does not stop. And the brilliant conceit of of going from the extremely frozen cold you know, and the Terminator gets shattered, which is such a cool effect. And then now you're also in this hellish, like it's like, right. he's, it's like, it's like, it's frozen. It's, it's hot. Like wh- whoever came up with this is the final stage of the final battle is a goddamn genius. It's James Cameron et al. But they're geniuses right. because it's so visually interesting. It's so fucking cool. Um, and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing that felt engineered um, about any of that stuff other than the, really the, just the time travel plot stuff. But yeah, but I mean, that's in service of the action and the action is in service of the plot. And I think they mesh really well. Can I, the one problem I have is where the hell were the cops during the whole movie? <laughs> Cause like, Oh, say what you want. No, I mean, say what you will about the biker bar, mm-hmm. but if a cryogenic truck slams into a steel facility, bashes open and then every personnel has to evacuate. Shouldn't there be some kind of emergency staff that comes, shows up sometime in the next 30 minutes? 
You would think so. But they're allowed to stalk each other through this thing for the last 30 minutes of the film and nothing interrupts them, which that's good because I don't really need the cops in there. This is this is right. mano a mano. Uh, and in Linda Hamilton's case, I mean, case, the cops Wolf may Mono. still be busy cleaning up the fucking explosion of, yeah, that, of Cyberdyne. Like, that's what I was thinking. Like, if you had that many officers down and that kind of like, plus this guy, all is, the cop cars in LA are gone. This he is, blew them all up. The, the conceit <laughs> of Arnold being the same guy that shot up a cop station from 10 years ago and they already have a giant boner for him. And right. now that he's done it again, <laughs> oh, like, God. I guess like everything else would be shunted to the side. I think so. Yeah. Uh, although the, you, the, T-1000 has a fetish for large vehicles, yes? Like, he could probably make a little more headway in his goal if he had a faster uh, faster vehicle with a, better acceleration, but... A, 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 a six-banger Ford Taurus would be better than right. the semi that he jacks When you're on chasing people occasions. on bikes, yeah. yeah. But he seems to have a fetish for, like, large semis or tanker trucks. Um... The other thing I want to talk about is so we we talk about uh, how incredible the the you know the main antagonist or protagonist, but I just want to talk about um, Linda Hamilton because goddamn she completely transformed her physique in this movie and like the mm-hmm. workout and eating regimen that she underwent to do this like just this sculpted hard physique and like even to her face is like kind of drawn and gaunt and the way she moves yeah. and like this she's just kicking ass and taking names she's an utterly believable badass mm-hmm. uh even more so than like a sigourney weaver in the alien series because that's just a normal mm, okay linda hamilton has transformed herself into a fucking superwoman in this movie and she had to because she's going to share time with with arnold schwarzenegger who is this goddamn skyscraper of a human being and Robert Patrick, which is the, I'm pretty sure that they did this as an opposite. Like I want something lithe. I want someone lithe and graceful and agile to go against Arnold Mm -hmm. and she has to fit in there too. Right. You have to buy the fact that she could single-handedly escape from a mental institution. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think she was there. Uh, If if Arnold had, (laughs) if like literally the demon from her nightmares hadn't come around that corner, she would have been out the door and into the wild. You might be right. She was certainly at the elevator waiting. Yeah. But I, I thought I just, I just like, man, um, that is the, one of the more impressive transformations I've seen someone do. And the commitment to the role is impressive. It is. And I like, you know, walking down the streets every day, I don't really like her look. I think she looks a little unhealthy, like too skinny. But that uh, you, you, that, you but, buy but that character that's such that, a driven, yeah. driven character that she right. would do that. I do. Yeah. Um, and I also like to, f- I, although I think she does really good performances when she's like losing her shit and, and at various points in the movie. Um, but I also really I, I don't know about Sarah Connor's strategy here. Like if you get denied seeing your son, why do you go and try to attack the facility? Like. Yeah, you know, he said he's like, okay, well, you're going to be reevaluated in six months. Well, now you're not going to be reevaluated for six years, right? Like, yeah, she did set herself play back. the long. I, I get how desperate you are, but like the stakes are pretty fucking high. Yeah, it's almost like this facility is driving her insane. Like, well, she's she if she wasn't insane at the beginning, she's insane now. I think that's my biggest nightmare is to be committed against my will to a facility. <laughs> And I'm sane and they won't let me go. Right. Like Homeland, I think season two or three played with that concept. And hmm. like this it plays with that concept. And uh, and like uh, Boardwalk Empire does that a little bit, too. It's like that seems like a it's just like this this Kafka-esque nightmare. 
that, that yeah. you have to prove that yeah. you're sane and you are sane. How do you prove that you're sane? Yeah. When you've got authority figures saying you're not and pumping you full of chemicals and restraining you against your will and not letting you exercise and licking you in the face. Especially when you know that the most sane, <laughs> the most sane thing here is to try to protect humanity. Right. And, and you're, you're unable to do that because by saying the things that you need to say to do that, humanity is judging you insane and right. ignoring you. Right. It's crazy. Uh, you know what I think is my worst nightmare? What's that? Working at a place like Cyberdyne with where the uniform is apparently denim shirts with ties. It's the blue jean committee, man. <laughs> Fucking denim shirts, that man. Was thing in the, I, I was telling you, I think my junior high school picture <laughs> is me in a denim shirt and a paisley oh, no. tie. Yeah, no, that's... I, I, uh, oh, no. That needs proud to be of the, it. That needs to be the cover art for this post. Because, <laughs> oh, God. Um, but let's talk about... Um, said his name's Dyson. Yeah. Like the vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about him for a second. Because Miles Dyson. That's his name. Miles Dyson. Th- this is a man who makes like the ultimate sacrifice, in my opinion, because he he is willing to do the thing that Sarah Connor is not, which is to kill his career. Right. Like this is a man and who himself. has been working his entire life and himself. Yeah. In the in the end, he had to. But he from the jump. Once he saw, once he had some proof that this was the inevitable outcome of his actions, he was willing to give up his entire life's work yeah. to prevent it. Yeah, and go... And to, not only to destroy what he had been working on, but not to work on it ever again. Like, yeah. this is a man who would be lost after this moment if he hadn't died. And and, and that's a hard swallow, but the awesome I, I think scene of Arnold cutting choice. his arm off and ripping it, like, that's... You're right. Yeah. You got utter proof in the fact that like you'd already know that he knows this. Um, he, he's How, familiar with the endoskeleton because he's seen it before. And now here it is staring right. in the face. Yeah. Like it's almost it's still almost unbelievable that a man could be this heroic, a normal everyday right. like computer scientist nerd. Mm-hmm. But he's so committed to saving his family and humanity by extension that he's going to, you know, take bullets and, and do this crazy uh, and, and be fully committed by yeah. the end. But he does it. I think I, Joe Morton's a guy who played him. I think he did. Uh, I think he did a terrific job. How much skin do you ask Arnold to remove before you finally believe it? If he just did it, because I mean, yeah, he could have a fake hand. I think you go big. I think that's exactly right. I think you, you just you deglove keep... your entire half your arm. Do you, do you have to stop there? Like, can you take all the skin off? Can he just be walking around like a robot skeleton? Uh, yeah, but that would ruin the mission. They're not going to let him in the Cyberdyne facility that way. That's true. It didn't seem like he really needed to be there to get into Cyberdyne, though. Yeah, I feel like Arnold didn't do anything to get them in. Yeah, because ultimately, um, their their biggest problem is there's two guards. Yeah. Uh, if there had been one guard, they could have done that without a hitch, but then you wouldn't have the awesome shootout. And, and I like how they make it kind of clear that Dyson doesn't pay attention to the guards at all. Like, he can't quite remember that guard's name. Right. That's, so that's so seems... he's not going to know that there are two guards. Sure. Because he, he passes by them and doesn't give them a second thought. Right. So it's plausible. Um, let, me, let me ask you real quick. Yeah. How do they get the chip and the arm from the first Terminator? Because I don't remember... So in the first Terminator, How he gets he gets the he finally gets stopped by he's he's, he's crushed in an press. industrial press. Right, I remember that and his arm sticking out. <clears throat> so I is think, he holding the chip? 
No, it's in his head. So I think the idea is Cyberdyne recovered those remains okay. and the the arm and apparently because even the chip that was heavily damaged, but just the way it was architected, I guess, gave them a, a leg up. They don't give a shit about the power source that was powering Maybe this phenomenon. Maybe that was destroyed to where it couldn't be recovered. But so was the chip. Like he says, it's broken. It didn't work. Yeah, but it right. taught us things. But there's like there's different levels of broken. I suppose there's like you drop your iPhone on the floor broken and then there's like, right. it's been, will it blend broken? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, um, do I, I, there's a couple other things like, cause we talk about the, the effects. What, what's your verdict on the effects other than the, the endoskeletons in the beginning, I thought with yeah. rare exception, all the liquid metal, because it's such a simple effect. It's kind of like the original toy story, even though that was primitive, like if you look at the humans in the first Toy Story, you can tell like, ooh, this is pretty rough. Mm-hmm. But the toys all look convincing because one thing CG's good at is plasticky kind of stiff things. Right. This liquid metal thing was a technique that Cameron pioneered with the Abyss, and it still looks c- crazy good. It does. I like. I can always see when they're about to do an effect because something happens with the film. Yeah, it's, it's like the, it gets something a about darker the matting or, or compositing. It, it does fuck with it, especially in right, like dimly lit scenes. Right, but the itself always looks really good. And also, like, I'm, I was surprised when I got the, the collector's edition of this how much of that stuff was practical. Like when, when you know, a lot of times in the T-1000s walking around spike arms, those are actually prosthetics. Oh, wow. That are painted... That chrome color and they, they someone blends it into his arms. So it looks like like those aren't all digital effects, huh? That's cool. Um, and so like, there's so much, so much. Of this movie is so practical, and like, there's the stunt work, like just little things, like when the T1000 drags that trucker out and throws him to the ground. Mm-hmm. That truck driver hits the cement from like <laughs> six, seven feet, going 30, 40 miles an hour, and hits hard. He's stiff-legged. I don't know why he doesn't bend the knees. Well, I mean, little. he's a professional, but like, right. there's just dudes. Ankles. I wonder how many dudes' careers were ended in this movie, because yeah. they're just really brutal, brutal a practical stunts because nothing's really faked. I mean, you know, it's all faked, but there's no, there's no CG cheats. I think Bud from Slew Your Shorts, his career was ended in this movie. Bud from Slew Your Shorts? Yeah, you remember that show? Nickelodeon show Uh from the 80s? Was that who's that was, that was the red hair kid who's who's John's friend. Mullet man? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um... What else we want to talk about? I I think it's, I I think, so I think the, the villain is intensely badass, like, Ultimate, ultimately scary, more scarier than Arnold, even uh, in the first Terminator. Uh, and that, I really I like that scene where Arnold cuts his own eyeball out in the first movie. I, that still squicks me out. <laughs> I mean, just from the sheer fact that it, I don't know how you kill that thing. I don't yeah, know how you stop other that than thing. dissolving and Arnold, it in molten metal. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, the Terminator doesn't know how you stop this thing. And presumably he has knowledge of these things and has had time to think about it. Right. Yeah. So. He couldn't get him in a scenario where he could end it until the the very end, uh, mm. obviously. That right. makes sense from a narrative perspective. <laughs> but uh, I really like the final scene where he's dying. The T-1000's dying in the molten metal because it looks like he's kind of desperately searching for a form that's going to save him. Right. Like, what of the things that I can become will get me out of this scenario? Or, and there are none. Or alternatively... His, his systems are so overwhelmed that he's just uncontrollably changing right. shape. Like, yeah. you know, it's it's just uh, an, almost a reflex mechanism. Yeah, there's something, like, very otherworldly and demonic about it, like the, it, the it, final shots. And, yeah, and whoever had the concept of, like, the scream that, like, 
is like his head keeps trying to escape from the scream, uh-huh. trying to keep out as, as long as possible. It is it's super fucking cool. Yeah, for sure. And I guess I, I can't remember exactly how they do that, but they, they talk about how that pool is like some kind of gel gelatin that they've lit like insanely bright lights from underneath. So it looks like it's molten metal, but they're <laughs> actually actors in there thrashing around. And wow. Um, uh, I think that John Connor's stepmom might have been the first titty I'd ever seen in a movie. Cause if you, if you, if you notice and, and the 17 year old me did when what? she, and, and, and apparently the Fox sensors didn't, when she's thrashing around her shirt actually comes open and her boobs are just kind of flopping around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. That's an odd detail to put in there. Yeah. Cameron. Well, yeah. I, uh, uh, you know, you're thrashing around in molten metal things, things kind of fl- uh, come loose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I thought should have come loose. So here's, here's my biggest <laughs> problem with the entire movie. Okay. I do not believe even for a second that a semi truck could take a full on grenade hit to its engine compartment and still keep coming. Hmm. I mean, there are fucking hoses. There are fucking wires. Would it be an instant stop, though? uh, Well, it would lose all all forward uh, conveyance, right? Like it would still coast on its momentum, but there's no way that this thing is still pumping out torque. Hmm. No fucking way. An an engine compartment with a grenade in it. Come on. Well, I mean, because so like. I don't know. The block might might survive, but everything else is gone. The battery's gone. Yeah. I'm fucking everything is gone in there. Yeah, I do know that like movies seem to continue can uh just overestimate the power of grenades. So like maybe that's actually a realistic depiction of it. Like if you know, I, that RPG, I if you hit them with RPG then yeah, it's over. But just actually like these are essentially personnel grenades. Mm-hmm. So like if you threw a hand grenade at a semi, I don't think it would stop it. So why would a grenade launcher stop it? I I can't imagine. I just can't imagine it continuing. Right. And I know it's smoking. I know it's steaming. But come on. Uh, the other thing I really liked about the T-1000 and his various damage states is how, like, Cronenbergian. Mm, yeah. Like, when they first blow his head up uh, and he's just got this massive, but it's, like, all deformed and cool. Like, it's almost like the... Uh, did you ever play The Last of Us? Mm-hmm. Like, some of the fungal stages of, yep. like... And then the best is when Arnold gets him with the grenade. Yeah. Like, that is such a goddamn cool effect that he's half blown it's up. It's horrifying. And, and it's it's all liquid metal. And like his that. head is hanging off and he's screaming. Like, yeah, it's it, so cool. So it is. cool. Especially since it's such a great moment that Sarah Connor's one-handed cocking this shotgun and she's almost got him done. Uh-huh. But she runs out of ammo. Like, one more shell and she would have done it herself. And then, you know, the T-1000 is grandstanding for some fucking reason. I don't like that He's either. He's coming up over the gear. No, yeah. no, no. I'm talking about the 1000 where he gives her the finger wag. That's stupid. The T-1000 wouldn't have done that. Does he? Yeah, he gives her a finger. Like, she, she comes up just short of killing him and he, like, goes, huh. And that gives Arnold enough time to come up on the wheel and kill him. Oh, yeah. But yeah, that's like, lame. okay, you flipped Arnold's chip so he can start acting like a right. human. You, on the other hand. He's a Terminator. Yeah. He should be trying to terminate. I mean, I, I like the fact that he's like baseline decent at dealing with people, like the way he dealt with the step step parent right. or the foster parents and the way he's dealing with the kids at the arcade. And But he's also not like he doesn't understand the nuance of like John Connor has a bad relationship with the step parents. So mm-hmm. the fact he can't look at this house and be like, this isn't the type of people that she would be making this like five star meal. And right. 
Um, the other, uh, the action sequence at Cyberdyne is cool as well because the fact that Arnold, you know, like he's famous for movies where he kills hundreds of people. And here's a scene where he believably doesn't kill anyone. Yeah. I think that's, it, it adds a little dimension to the action. And my favorite is when he's taking the grenade and he's just walking forward and he's getting bits of him blown apart. That's super cool. But when he grabs the grenade launcher and he uses it as essentially like a crude, less lethal ammunition thing, he's just right. He's just pegging people with the grenade and knocking them out. It's 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 pretty funny. Yep. It's funny and cool. Yeah, I just thought it was hilarious to see him wading through these cops who are shooting him with high power rifles and he's just kneecapping every single one right. methodically. It's right. Just like, bang. Bang. Yeah. Bang. Yeah. Your knee's gone. Your yeah. other knee's gone. <laughs> yeah. And also how he busts into the clean room like the Kool-Aid man. Uh-huh. Like, oh, mom's trapped in there. What are you going to do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he comes and just yanks her out bodily. Yeah. They make, ah, uh, yeah. Fucking love uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's, uh, I don't know if we'll ever see his like again. I don't know, man. Seems like all the the badass heroes now don't have to be that physically badass. Yeah. The, the could, movies could, can make them look physically could, badass. Uh, the rock the rock could have done it the rock could have done a terminator 4 and been that like i believe the the rock could bust through a a wall and grab somebody bodily like that yeah uh but he doesn't uh with rare exception doesn't do those kind of movies uh last thing i want to talk about is this movie not a great movie for good samaritans Every concerned citizen, like I was just thinking, like, what a dick John Connor is that these two guys, they see a guy, you see Arnold Schwarzenegger fucking with this kid. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I get these guys are pretty big meatballs themselves, but they go over there to like, hey, man, are you all right? Yeah. Help this kid out. He's screaming for help. And John Connor's like, he owes this guy and he's cool with the guy getting lifted up by his hair. Right. And then Arnold wrecks this guy's like, these guys are good dudes looking out for the community. They're never going to do that again. No, man. And like the one, the guys that stopped, like, you know, they see this like massive wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this helicopter destroyed and these people wrecking this car and like, Jesus Christ, are you guys all right? They get fucked. Like the one guy gets gutted uh-huh. and the other guy gets his ride jacked. Like the moral of the yeah. story is mind your own fucking business. I think <laughs> I so. Guess. Yeah. And don't create sentient robots. Oh, I have another, fu- I have another point. Um, would it be funny if like, like you have Terminator four come out and the concept is they've been thwarted with the military industrial concept con, uh, uh, in that era. They can't, they can't take over the world in that way, but now they're going all in on self-driving cars. Okay. And then on August 29th, 2029, when half of the world's adult population is commuting, like at 8 a.m., uh, they're just going to simultaneously all just take a hard right into whatever nearest concrete <laughs> pylon, and it kills half of the world's adult population. Right. It's Judgment Day, but it's all self-driving cars and Uber. Or maybe it's New Year's Eve and everyone's taking Ubers home, and it just... <laughs> Self-driven Ubers. I like it. <laughs> start start working on the screenplay. Uh, all right, let's let's go. To, I'm gonna get. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Or should we get to Nick's no, comments? I'm good. Uh, Nick says, "How does T2 rank in the hierarchy of greatest sequels of all time? To me, the movie itself ranks third behind The Godfather Part Two and Empire Strikes Back. However, I think T2 is so vastly superior to its predecessor in terms of plot and action that an argument could be made that it's the greatest sequel of all time." Yeah, I don't. So I don't he's know talking I would, about 
the degree of difference between yeah. like Star Wars is pretty good. Empire Strikes Back is even better. Godfather 2 is pretty good. I actually think Godfather or Godfather is great. Godfather 2 is also great. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you have any, do you think there's any merit to the fact that like most improved sequel like Terminator 2 has got some good ideas. It's a genuinely scary horror film. This is just executed at such a much I mean, higher you, level. What do you say about Wrath of Khan though? Like yeah. Star Star Trek One is not it's not good. a great movie. It's a oh, it's a good Star Trek episode that's an hour and a half too long. <laughs> right, and and I can say I guess more better about Terminator, like the first Terminator movie. I mean, sure, it's low budget and maybe it's not fully conceptualized, but I think it's probably better than Star Trek One. Yeah. So I don't know. I think maybe Star Trek two beats it as, you know, comparatively good sequel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so hard. Cause like I, I file, I file, I file. I feel like when I get into like my top five of anything that it's like, you know, when yeah. I'm talking about the wire versus the leftovers versus breaking bad versus mad men. It's like, you know, what is the best there? And if it's the best is, can I say it for anybody but me? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, that clearly T2 is in the top five and Aliens is in there too, right? right? Yeah. Alien is a great movie. Aliens is not that, it's not a horror film. It's an action film. Yeah. Uh, that feels like a more apt comparison, but these are all in like the top five, certainly top 10 consensus sequels. So what are you going to do? Yep. Uh, this is something I didn't know. I've always been told that the original choice to play T-1000 was Billy Idol. What? Uh, but a motorcycle crash <laughs> presented him from taking the role. I've always been interested. Wow. It's always been interesting to think about how this movie would feel different with Billy Idol squaring off against Arnold. That's like that's like a great what if because it's kind of like uh, Tom Selleck if he had gotten the role over uh, Harrison Ford for Indiana Jones. Uh-huh. I can see Tom Selleck being a pretty damn good Indiana Jones. Billy Idol, like, is because because the thing about Robert Patrick is that. Like he's certainly no Arnold Schwarzenegger, but we see him naked in the movie. He's like pretty. He's a pretty imposing specimen in his own right. Uh huh. Um, Billy Idol. I just he just reads as skinny and strung out. Yeah, I like. Mm. Do you buy Billy Idol like dead deadpan throwing Arnold around in an industrial landscape and slamming his head repeatedly with some kind of crazy steel anvil? I mean, they would have they would have had to do something with his hair. Because I don't believe <laughs> that any robot from the future is going to have the hair of Billy Idol. I believe it's going to be that tight cut that, uh, you know, the high and tight sort of thing that yeah, yeah. Robert Patrick's got going on. Speaking of that, why does the T-1000 have a default face? Is that like a low, is that to conserve energy? Because oh, when he kills that huh. first cop, right. or even the second one, it's game over if he's driving around a patrol car and someone's like, what the fuck is he doing in Bob's car? Yeah, that's true. Like, why not take Bob's face? I mean, he can clearly do it. Yeah. He just doesn't. Yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, it's so question. weird that he has a default state. Like, uh, and like if that's if that's a power-saving mode, he's still faking the clothes. So, like, how much <laughs> right. power is he actually saving? Yeah, good point. And also, what does a T-1000 feel like? I always wondered that. Like, if I touch 
well, if I touch break his clothes, open a thermometer and find out. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? But if don't I, do that. Seriously, if I touch don't. his clothes, does it feel like an unyielding metal surface? Right. Does it feel like cloth? Like, if, is it game over as soon as you touch the T-1000? What's the deal? Do you become part of the T-1000? Does he pull you in? It seems like just physically touching something is all he needs to sample you. Or maybe it, even seeing you. I don't know. I think that's actually like what Neo does in the Matrix. Like, that is... Samples that people? is the well, no, that is the T one thousand that he's touching that takes him out of the matrix and into the real world. Uh, you know that mirror that he touches that yeah. that becomes part uh-huh, of him or he goes into. Yeah, that's it. All right, that is the T one thousand. Did you know that Gail Ann Hurd is actually an executive producer on this? Who, 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 if you don't know who Gail Ann Hurd is, she's an EP on The Walking Dead now. I did not know that. It's. I I don't how know. the mighty have fallen. I, yeah, I like I don't want to <laughs> blow her too much shit, but come on, you know. Yeah, produced one of the all time best action shows and I her best action movies, and I guess that's why she probably got this job because of a lot of the stuff she's done. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I don't know, but yeah, she's done EP stuff on the The Walking Dead. Uh, his final point that we haven't covered yet is something that's going to be a bone of contention because uh, I happen to agree with him and you don't. The theme music is so iconic and badass. I always get pumped hearing the Terminator theme. I huh. I love it because it's got this like military staccato, uh, like you know, dun, 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 dun. but yeah, also has, has that March cool kind of, kind of mournful dirgy synth. So mm. it's kind of like to me, it's always represented the the mourning of what's humanity lost versus the triumph of the machines. So I'll give you that. I'll, I'll say that it, it is very thematic uh-huh. and it, it feels right for this movie. I just don't think it's very memorable. I don't think the melody is nearly as memorable as something like, I, I mean, pick, pick your poison with, with John Williams. Well, like, Jesus Christ. If let's go Jurassic Park, John, Indiana yeah. Jones, Star Wars. Like, sure. You can throw out sure. pretty much everything that John Williams has ever done and say it's more memorable than this. Okay. Okay. I agree. I, and I, so I, is it up there among the best? I, and maybe if we rule out John Williams, it's one of the best, but like if he the is the best, that's what, but yeah, I'm like, that's like, you know, well, it's not fair to not compare him this soundtrack to John Williams stuff, right? Like John Williams holds like the top 15 or something, but he says it's iconic and badass, And I agree. Oh, but sure. The thing is like, you've only seen this movie a couple of times. So like yeah, maybe, yeah. but like, I, I like this so much. I was telling you the other day, cause when we first had this fight off air, um, I'm like, I like this enough that I spent probably a day and a half searching the primitive internet, uh-huh. which was essentially a collection of loose collection of BBSs to find the MIDI file of the, t- the, the perf. Cause there's a couple I found, but they were all kind of shitty. Oh, the yeah. perfect MIDI file for this doom level I was constructed. Cause I wanted the Terminator <laughs> theme to be in my doom level. Nice. Um, but Fitting, yeah, I think, I I like it. I think it's great, and I I, I want to say that James Cameron composed the one the 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 soundtrack of the original movie. I I thought I looked that up, and I don't think that's true. He's and not then, he's not like a uh didn't uh, what's his face do the soundtrack for Doom? No, that was Trent Reznor did the soundtrack. Uh, I think Terminator Two was scored by some guy named Fred. <laughs> Fred Fox, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm right. And even in the first movie, um, is Brad Fidel, you said? Yeah. yeah. I, I I I guess I got some of my mythology wrong there. So uh double dumbass on me. 
uh that's it i feel like we did a pretty good job great movie mm-hmm. um it'll be interesting because there's a community commission right now for the pr- for the predator and i guess i will because it's my th- it's my my thought that that's the greatest action movie of all time uh but maybe when we get into that you can make an i mean i don't know because uh the the thing I think that elevates it is number one. I think that Predator is a slightly better villain than the T one thousand, and also it's got a much clearer heroic structure. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger is the POV protagonist, yeah. Whereas this is by committee and kind of muddled and confused, and you know, like it's like Arnold is the hero by proxy because John Connor is the real hero, right? Where and also the stakes, like you know, like um. If Arnold dies in committing and 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 saving John Connor, he's like you said, he's just following his produ- uh, programming. Whereas in in the Predator, Arnold is squaring off against this intergalactic badass Predator, and he's just a flesh and blood human, right? And he struggles, and and there's a little bit of that because the, uh, clearly the T eight hundred is completely overmatched with the T one thousand, and he's getting by on his guile and his like brute force, but right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think... And he has to have a couple assists by Sarah and John along the way. Or, like, if they if they had all worked together, whereas in a Predator, like, you know, Arnold, he just he does it all by himself. I think the, the plot of the Predator is much less interesting. Like, you know, say what you want about time paradoxes or whatnot. Really? An like, alien coming to hunt the greatest, the greatest prey on the planet Earth? Is yeah, I mean, compelling? just straight up, like, time travel is more interesting to me than... Some kind of alien, even shitty hackney time travel, alien hunter. Yeah, that makes no sense. Well, yeah, I mean that that's the thing. Like, I don't hold this up as like a shining example of a great time travel movie. <laughs> Good, uh, but when we com- just spent like thirty minutes talking about how it's not right. But when you combine like <laughs> the basic idea of time travel with this stellar action movie, okay, like, I kind of it's I a like bit more it. of a sci. It's it's weird because they're both science it's sci-fi, fiction films, right? And it's Predator about AI, less and like, like a science fiction mill and more like a creature film. Right, which right. I mean, which is to me is film. not quite as interesting, but but I mean the action in that is really also badass is per per square minute. I know, I know. Like it, the, the screen's <laughs> bulging with it, <laughs> literally bulging. Yeah, bulging uh, and quivering and flexing. Yeah, and quipping like it's just you can't be contained. Where Arnold is just pretty uh, and and Linda Linda herself is is a badass in her own right in this movie. I will leave Linda with one word of advice though. If you're going to stab someone to try and maim them or to try and really harm them, don't go for the kneecap, especially if you're just using a pin, because mm. this doctor was clearly unfazed by it. He's walking around just fine. Uh, but you don't know. Maybe maybe the she, kneecap is not a good place to stab somebody. But what if she's being she's on the ground being held down by three orderlies and that's the only that's the only quasi vital thing she could reach with her try, pin. Try to get in under the kneecap. I'm just like <laughs> the kneecap is damage free zone. Yeah. It's like stabbing someone in the elbow. Hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't Will do you let anything. me stab you in the knee of the pin just to see on camera. No, like if you sound pretty no. confident that it's going to be like a, it's, it's going to be a no big deal. Well, I mean, judging I I, by this doctor, I bet I can make it a big deal. <laughs> probably. Probably. Uh, but it apparently wasn't. This doctor's walking just fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't didn't end his career. Uh, all right. Well, that's it. Thank you very much. Uh, congratulations to the champ, Nick Nick Wilson. Thanks for commissioning. Because uh, that's the thing. Like I was a little slightly afraid. Because remember when we originally came up with this commission idea? It's like our thought is 
50 50 people just going to be torturing us but make like like dr forrester style from mr science theater making us watch terrible terrible movies for right. their own amusement and 50 percent people wanting our genuine opinions on good stuff this is the old because he only paid like what 30 bucks like it's 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 right it, you know when you pay 300 dollars to see to get, have commission yeah that you got to be a pretty well-heeled troll yeah but so, then nine other people paid 30 bucks and got nothing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's like the, 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 you could, if you're going to troll us, like it's, it's a small time investment and a maximum payload, but yeah, thank you for, for being, uh, for taking it easy on us and picking like a really, really good movie that I have a lot of affection for and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back, uh, next time with the other co-champ. Um, if we can get their submission in time, uh, otherwise we'll, we'll see you again. we got the, the stuff is backlisted. If you go to baldmove.com slash shop, uh, you can, uh, commission your own movie or you can, uh, select from a wide selection of community commissions where you can pay 10 bucks at a time. Cause we realize it's expensive. This is a big, big ticket purchase. It's more money than you probably likely pay for a microwave, for example, and you can't heat your food with our podcasts. Not unless there's something really, really wrong with your cell phone. Uh, <laughs> not, not unless you got a Samsung. <laughs> uh, uh, and then maybe you can get it done. But then you're out like $800 plus the 300 It's not cost effective, man. Right. Uh, but we'll be back again. Ballmove.com slash shop if you want to look into commissioning your own podcast. See you later.